a good morning. Wonder of wonders, miracle of miracles. God took Daniel once again, stood by his side and miracle of miracles, walked him through the lion's den. Maybe you remember that song, Miracle of Miracles. How many of you do? 1964, Fiddler on the Roof. And that's not the only miracle. This today could be entitled Miracle of Miracles. There's some things today that I think you'll see in this gospel recording by John that maybe you didn't notice before. So uh, the fact is, in the gospels, there are 37 miracles that are recorded that Jesus had done. And now, John, a Jew, who was writing to the Jew, Jews, loved the most loved disciple of Jesus, wasn't he? At least that's what Scripture says. The fact is, there are seven miracles recorded in the Gospel of John. Seven miracles. A perfect number. All that point to the deity of Christ, the Son of Man and the Son of God. There are very, some very significant teachings in this gospel. And uh, Paul shares this, and I think this is what John reflects in his writing. Paul said, Jews demand miraculous signs, and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. The fact is, the gospel of John is pointing all to miracles, miraculous signs. And uh, this morning, we're going to see one of those signs. So will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, may your word be my rule and your spirit my teacher and the glory of Christ my ultimate concern. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. I invite you to take your Bibles, and it's also on the screen as well, but we're going to look at the Gospel of John chapter 9 together, and I think you're going to see some things. I'm going to stop at each specific part, and we'll talk about that together and what's shared. First of all, Jesus, as he went along, he saw a blind man from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? this man or his parents, that he was born blind. I was going to stop there because the disciples now are asking Jesus, what happened? Who sinned? And that was a well-known understanding in that context, in that time, in that culture, that God's wrath was now shown on people as a result of their sin. And uh, it's really reflected and we know this through the words of Job, where his friends, you may remember his dear friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, and their insensitive comments to Job after Satan had done all that he had to Job and taken away all of the blessings that he had had. And they, they had condemned Job because they basically stated he had done something wrong. And that's why God was punishing him. So what does this understanding have? The disciples, too, hold that. 
And there's that belief that the Pharisees, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, were blessed in wonderful ways, which is why they had such wealth and prosperity. Oh, but really what we know is a very self-righteous behavior, wasn't it? But they carried that with them. They were blessed, they felt, by God because, and they were given prosperity because of who they were. Not so unusual in our world today. There is much to be said about the health and prosperity or health and wealth gospel, which is really not a gospel at all. There is this feeling, and it is shared by many. You'll see it even in TV evangelists that the greater your faith, then the greater your prosperity and wealth will be. Scripture certainly doesn't teach that, and that's certainly not part of the gospel. It's a false gospel. It's a relationship that is flawed. It basically cheapens grace and makes it obsolete, and it puts God basically as irrelevant. It puts man in the place of God. So I will tell you, the health, the prosperity gospel is not a gospel that is a gospel at all. The gospel is in Jesus Christ, repenting and living and turning and looking to him for our guidance. Now, Jesus' response was very interesting. What did he say in the next verse? Verses starting with verse three, he said, neither this man nor his parents sin, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in him, in his life. And as long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. So it's this very light that we see this morning. But I don't, have, I don't really like Jesus' response to this. Do you, if you think about it? He said, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. So in a way, do we think that um, he was born blind so that one day he might be healed? Think about it. All those years, someone ostracized, someone who totally was a misfit, and if we were at Christmas time and you were watching Rudolph, it would be like somebody who should have been on the island of misfit toys. You see, a blind man in that culture was totally ostracized. There was no Judean Institute for the Blind. There were no service dog organizations that would have a, a nice golden retriever that would guide him around. He was untouched. Much like a leper, he was pushed away. And so Jesus, if we had the mind of God, is now performing a miracle, will perform a miracle in this man's life because he is the light of the world. And if we had the mind of God, then we would understand that. The fact is, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And that's all rooted in his relationship with God the Father. I like this quote that I read by John Piper. He said, 
The light of Christ is the brilliance of God shining into the retina of the soul. Can you think on that one? The light of Christ is the brilliance of God shining on the retina of the soul. And the fact is, life can be wonderful here on earth, can it? I have to say, for the time we were in, on vacation in St. Kitts, it was awful nice to wake up every morning to sunshine. This big, big orange ball that was rising up. Wasn't that beautiful, Derek and Ann? <laughs> I could say we could get used to that. But the fact is, over time, that really wouldn't satisfy us all either, would it? That's not the true way to satisfy our lives, our heart's deep inward desires. In fact, uh, I was reflecting about that after being gone and enjoying that vacation, which was wonderful, that in some ways I could see people who were there, it's like a chasing after the wind, maybe Solomon, like his words. Is that truly going to satisfy? Is it truly, truly going to fulfill? In fact, maybe the fact is, oftentimes it's easier to worship the created instead of the creator. But we're hardwired. We're hardwired in a way, we should all know that, that there's only one that can fulfill us. And it's like St. Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they rest in you. So the fact is, Jesus is the light of the world. He is God incarnate, the Son of Man and the Son of God. I was brought to the fact of how important light and guidance are. Last summer, you may re remember, I went with a friend and we took, we started out of Sturgeon Bay and pulled out of the harbor and headed out into Lake Michigan. And one of the things that came to me very soon in our travels was how important the buoys and navigational uh, beacons were to us on our boating trip. Heading down and heading through Chicago and down the Illinois River, making sure the buoys were on the right, we were in the right markers, so we would not go aground. That's, in a way, that light that we're called to look at in Christ is to follow him. It's his word that he gives us, that gives us light. His word is a lamp to my feet and a light upon my path. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2 says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, to them, on them, a light has shone. So the fact is, Neither this man or his parents sinned, but this was done that God might display his wonderful work in him. But now we come to the healing of the blind man. So I invite you to listen to these words and look at these words. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with his saliva and put it in the man's eyes. Then he said, go, he told him. Wash in the pool of Siloam. And this word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. The significance of this. I don't know if this brings back something to any of you. 
but in some ways this is called a remez. A remez is any part or of the whole that brings us back to maybe another statement in Scripture, another place where God is revealed. In Genesis 2, verse 7, And the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Fact is, the very act of what Jesus did here, can you see that picture? of spitting into the ground, making mud with his saliva and placing the man's eyes, does it not remind you of the very creation of man? Maybe those words of John, John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. It was very God in Christ who now gives life to a man and makes him whole. Somewhat of a reflection, would you say, of what happened in the very beginning in Genesis. It was Jesus' brilliance that brought relief from that physical blindness to Paul. It happened with the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus, didn't it? The light of Christ shined like brilliance of God into the retina of of Paul's eyes. And Saul became Paul. He was now blinded for what? Three days. But he saw the light. Interesting as you think about the significance of what happened there. Paul's life was changed. His eternal destiny was changed. And I think that's what we have to see with this man. His eternal destiny was changed. But now we come to what I would say is one of the greatest court cases in Scripture. A court case that would make Matlock or Perry Mason kind of excited, I think. So if we look at verse 8, take a look at verse 8. And he says, because they first now goes to his neighbors. They go to his neighbors and they're asking. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging ask, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? And some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like that man. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they demanded. Well, he replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it in my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man? They ask him, I don't know, he said. So here were the neighbors. They're the first ones to be testify and want to know what exactly happened. Couldn't help but think they wondered as well. Was it him? Or was it maybe a twin? Somebody who looked like him? No, he was the man. When he responded, I am the man. There's something about what he did. When he went to the pool of Siloam, which is in the south side of Jerusalem, he had to walk there. That was a little walk to get there. And that pool is well known as waters that would be saved into a cistern. They were known to bring life. He didn't argue with Jesus, did he? Did you notice that? He was obedient. He was obedient and did just what Jesus had told him. But now the Pharisees, Now they're investigating the healing. Now this is interesting. Look at verse 13. 
They brought to the Pharisees the man who'd been blind. Picture the courtroom in a way, an outdoor courtroom. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. Well, he put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. And some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner do such miraculous things and signs? So they were divided. Finally, they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. And the man replied, he is a prophet. The Gospels record seven miracles that Jesus did on the Sabbath. The first one is he drove out an evil spirit in Capernaum in Mark 1. The second one was he healed Peter's mother-in-law. So guys, there's something about taking care of your mother-in-law. But he healed a man with a withered hand in Mark 3, the invalid at Bethesda, and now today the man born blind. And there's two others we'll learn more about as well. The woman crippled for 18 years. Man with dropsy, which was a fluid or edema that would gather into extremities in Luke 14. The fact is there are seven miracles recorded in Scripture. Another perfect number. Seven is a perfect number in Scripture. And that, too, reveals Jesus and what he came to do. He came to fulfill the law and the prophets. And we're going to touch on that in a moment. But now we come to the parents. It's not over yet. We've seen the neighbors talk to. Now the Pharisees have discussed this. And now we have the parents. The Jews still did not believe, and the Jews here meaning the Sanhedrin, that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they ask? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? Well, we know he's our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He can speak for himself. And then his parents said this because they were afraid of the Sanhedrin, the Jews, for already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. And that's why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So now they've asked the parents. And the parents, of course, deflected this, didn't they? They didn't want to get kicked out of the synagogue. Would you want to get kicked out of the church? No. Well, let him answer it. He's of age. So now they pull the man on the, on the, on the court floor today again, and they summoned him. Second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know that this man is a sinner. And he replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. Well, one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. 
Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've already told you this. You didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. Now the man answers, that's remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Now not only his parents were thrown out of the synagogue, but now the man born blind was thrown out of the synagogue. But it's not over yet. question I would have for all of us this morning. And this man was bold. Did you notice how he responded to the Pharisees? He didn't hold back at all. In fact, I couldn't help but think if if you were on trial, or if I were on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict me, convict you? Fact is, he was on trial. Jesus was on trial, but so was this man. And I would say there would have been plenty of evidence to say, yes, you you are a believer. But we really don't know that yet, do we? All we know is he was obedient, he shared what he did, and he stood up to the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin. Now, this culminates this account. In verse 35, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir, the man asked. Tell me that I may believe in him. And Jesus now said, you have seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment, I've come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him and say this and ask, what, are we blind too? Then Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. It is not that I chose him, it's that he chose me. Did you notice the significance of what happened here? Jesus sought out the man, and he seeks you and I. He comes to you and I. The fact is, we were blind, but now we see. The Pharisees were blind. They were blind to the brilliance of the light that so desired to touch the retina of their souls. But they couldn't see it, could they? 
They couldn't see through their own self-righteous and pompous nature, the fact that they thought they were better. They thought they had gotten it all right. They couldn't see who Jesus was. The fact is, Jesus, in his miracles, did something totally different to fulfill in, in what was promised to fulfill the Old Testament. Think about this. Moses cha uh, changed the bitter waters of Mara in Exodus 15 to sweet waters. It was Jesus who changed the ceremonial cleansing water to wine, revealing himself, the glory of Christ. The prophet Elisha laid on the Shunammite son to raise him in 2 Kings 4. Jesus heals the official's son in Capernaum from afar by his word. Elisha healed Naaman, the captain of leprosy, telling him to go and dip himself seven times in the Jordan River. Jesus healing the invalid at the pool of Bethesda, Jerusalem. He said just these words, get up, take your mat and walk. Moses fed the Israelites with manna, didn't he? Manna from God. Jesus fed in the New Testament, 5,000 by the Sea of Galilee, the bread of life. Moses divided the waters of the Red Sea, didn't he? Jesus walked on water, the very one who called water into existence. This morning, the healing of the blind man from birth. You may have remembered those words in verse 32 that were said, no one has ever heard of opening the eyes of a blind man from birth. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. The very fact is, it was the light, the brightness of God that shone on the retina of the human soul with this blind man. God shining through Jesus Christ. Wonder of wonders, miracle of miracles. God took a blind man by the hand, turned him around in miracle of miracles led him to the promised land. Later in the chapter, you're going to hear about the raising of Lazarus, which will be the final courtroom case. Because what the Pharisees were doing, the Sanhedrin, you should know this. If they truly followed the law and the prophets in Leviticus, It is noted that you are to take care of the blind. Do not hinder them. A well-known law that got obscured, and they changed that. So if the, if the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the chief priests would have acknowledged what they should have done, is they should have taken care of this man. In fact, they should have enfolded him not thrown him out of the synagogue, but embraced him. Jesus said this, 
Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until earth and heaven pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. My friends, this teaching tells all of us desires for us to see, maybe like we haven't seen before, that we're called to love one another as Jesus has loved us. We are to love one another. The fact is, and I shared, I've shared this before, you may be the only Bible some people read this week. How does your life shine? I have a very dear friend who walked with someone for a few years. And I'll say, I thought it was rather frustrating at times as I watched the interactions between this person and the other. And how my dear friend reflected Christ in the life of this younger person. What happened is a brilliant light ended up shining, continued to shine in the retina of this young gal's human soul. And not long ago, she accepted Christ as her Savior. And she did so because of what Jesus did through this other person and how they never gave up, never gave up. And we too are called to never give up. We're called to be the light in this world. So how might you live that out in this coming week? How might you too shine with the brilliant brightness of God in the retina of someone's human soul? How will they see Jesus in you? I will tell you, there are people searching, and you may be the one that God uses to show them the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Christ. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, John says, I suppose that even the whole world would not be able to hold the room or have the room for the books that would be written. So my friends, this miracle, miracle of miracles, court case of court cases, was the beginning of Jesus' demise. It continued. The Pharisees and the Sanhedrin, those teachers of the law, they did something now that is hard for us to imagine. They were plotting Jesus' death. They were plotting Jesus' death. And it occurred on the Sabbath. Think about that. Let's pray together.
Heavenly Father, as we again are reminded of your love for us, we give thanks for the Gospel of John, for how you used him in a mighty way to show us the light of the world. The light of the world is Jesus. So Lord, we pray now that as we continue in our lives that you will use us, help us to be Christ. You have given us your spirit. Help us to be him incarnate in us. You said you will give us one that's greater than you. And so Lord, may we reflect you in our lives. May we May we show this through acts of kindness, through reconciliation and forgiveness. Help us to forgive as you have forgiven us. So Lord, we offer this prayer to you. We thank you because of nothing we have done. It's by your amazing grace in Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. These are the words of Jesus at the Sermon on the Mount, when his disciples came, and when he sat down and he opened his mouth and he began to teach them, some of his words were this, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under the feet of men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hid Which of you will light a lamp and put it under a basket? But you put it on a stand so it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your deeds shine so that others may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. My friends, I can stand before you because I was once blind, but now I see. I was once lost, but now I'm found. I was once dead, but now I live. And it's Christ who lives in me. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, that he may work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory and honor and dominion, both now and forevermore. Amen.